here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello world, this is T.J. Morris. You're listening to ET Radio. We're going to be joined by Jan Eldridge today for the UFO Association. So I'm going to dial him right now and hope I've got the right number. Let's see who's it. You can hear me dialing him now. He's in Connecticut. I'm in Florida. We do this weekly, 4 to 6 Eastern. So thank you for joining us. Answers. Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Okay. Guess that's dropped off. Hmm. Well, let me play something while I'm waiting on him. Be right back. Try that, Jen. We'll get Sean. Okay, thank you. Okay, folks, if you can hear me, <laughs> we finally got together. Uh, the studio was trying to call him. I was trying to call him. He was trying to call me, but he said he has uh, his phone, his cell phone wasn't working, so he asked me to call his number direct. So let's try that. Hold on. Let's see. I'm fixing to swap the number. Apologize for us. The red tape. We appreciate everybody. We're trying to do the best we can to make sure you get the information you need to make your own decisions about life in general. And uh, Jan and I 
work in the UFO business, believe it or not. So let me try one more time. We do other things too. But this is a mainstay weekly. Hey, now we got you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I've been trying to get you. <laughs> yeah, we, I tried to call back on that number, and it said all circuits busy. It just kept giving me this uh, message that says all circuits busy, all circuits busy. Okay, that's probably because we were trying to call you. In this. All right, well, I apologize, everybody. We were just trying to connect. You know how it is. I'm in Florida. He's in Connecticut, studios in New York, and flitters around up there in satellite land and comes down somewhere. Sometimes I see Washington, not D.C., but Washington State. So, Anyway, this is Jan Harzan. He's a ufologist and historian, and I'm very excited to have him here with me. And we're building oral shows here. So, Jan, welcome aboard. Uh, this is UFO Association, and we're doing our book one, episode four tonight. So where would you like to begin tonight? And I'll just let you start. Well, um, I think we left off with uh, with uh, NICAP publishing the uh UFO evidence. All right. Well, you want to discuss all that you want to uh, have here uh, orally, and uh, yeah, you sure. want to tell any? Okay, folks. So, uh, Jan uh, Hart, Jan Aldrich. Yeah, Jan Aldrich. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna mute myself. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna mute myself. Okay, I'll be right here listening. Okay, so the uh, the UFO evidence was uh, actually published in '62. <clears throat> But only congressmen and uh, uh, media got copies of it. Uh, uh, a couple, I think, in New York State, paid uh, paid to have it printed. Uh, and of course, all NICAP members they immediately wanted one. So they started, uh, NICAP started taking orders for one, and this couple came forward again and gave them money, and it was somewhere around $26,000. Um, and they published that uh, UFO evidence, and then I visited NICAP after the UFO evidence was published uh, in... Uh, and out there in 64, and uh, Don Berliner was already working on UFO Evidence Volume 2, and uh, he worked on that for a number of years, and uh, it wasn't finished, and then Isabel Davis took it over, and... uh, there's some correspondence about from NICAP saying that Isabel is being very careful and trying to run down everything about any uh, case she used, so she was taking taking a lot of time. So that's in uh, 68, 69, and then uh, at the end of 69. Uh, the Keogh regime was uh, put out of NICAP. And so whatever happened to Isabel's um, uh, draft and whatever happened to Berliner's draft, we don't know. 
but then I know that uh, Richard Hall picked it up a few years later, and he started doing a draft also. Um, and that went on for years until it was finally uh, uh, published in 2000, in the 2000s there. Um, but like I say, it had been partially written by two people, or written and rewritten by two people, and those drafts are apparently lost. Now, Isabel Davis's material went to Richard Hall after she uh, passed away. Uh, Don Berliner's should have been with NICAP. Um, and not everything that NICAP, not all the files that NICAP had got passed along to KUFOS. So it's a, it's a question where these things are. In any case, uh, I just came across something that Hall did. While he was working on this, it's called uh, um, a catalog of air displacement cases, and he apparently wrote this for the uh, for the volume two, but uh, ended up publishing it in a, a rather uh, not well known English uh, publication, I guess, just to get it out. Um, it's called uh, air displacement, but what it's really about is you know, these UFOs go by and they cause winds or cause uh, aircraft to uh, get caught up like in jet washes or something like that. And so he had about 52 of these cases. And, of course, there's more because you can, you can always, once, once you get a topic and people start looking for it, they uh more cases come out so um we found about uh uh almost a dozen cases more from the ones he had now these start back in the uh pre arnold days to uh right up to the uh current times and uh this was this was to me very interesting. He had uh, he was he was one of the few people that did did catalogs. So Richard Hall, Michael Swords, a few people who wrote for Flying Saucer Review, and of course Jacques Vallée, um, and Keith Basterfield in Australia. Um, also, uh, Bill Chalker in Australia. <clears throat> Not a lot of people, though, uh, have the patience or the uh, the material where they can uh, uh, write these, uh, go ahead and compile these catalogs. It takes a it takes a while, takes a lot of research. Uh, if you uh, if you have volume two of the UFO evidence, you'll find many more catalogs than were in volume one, uh, at least double or triple. 
the ones in uh, volume one some very uh, interesting things he uh, he has a catalog about uh, hummingbird like maneuvers of UFOs uh, and of course the, we always have the the uh, hovering the hovering ones but this is this is quite a this is quite a bit different from just hovering UFOs um, is this done Berliner or Ber, Berlin however you say it Berliner Berlin right. Berliner because I called him Don Berliner but I don't think he cared uh, but talked to him before but now where uh, did he talk about in uh, the one with uh, I mean did he did he actually do his own history with NICAP or the uh, saucer what what was that called the Committee of Saucer Intelligence or something? Uh, he didn't have. Out? He wasn't. He wasn't involved in. Uh, uh, well, he, I mean, he may have been. He may have been involved in uh, civilian saucer intel, uh, intelligence. He might have been involved in that because I think he, uh, when he was working for the uh, um, Ground Observer Corps, he uh, he told them about what he was doing there. So he wrote an article for him. Uh, but, uh, he came to work for NICAP, uh, um, he had, uh, he had a friend in, uh, in England, uh, named Julian Hennessy, as uh, a Scot, Scotsman, and, uh, uh, Hennessy was, uh, um, very dedicated and uh, also uh, very persistent as far as uh, official material goes. So uh, he would find out who was in charge of the uh, uh, UFOs answering the public, and he... Somehow he got the guy's private number at home and, and was calling him at home because he couldn't get it. He couldn't get an answer during uh, during regular work time. The guy just kind of uh, blew him off, so he called him at home. <laughs> and there's a uh, there's a a note in the uh, in the uh, British archives saying. Uh, my God, this guy has got my home number, and he's calling me at home. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so uh, Hennessy is, is was quite a character. He uh, he started calling. Uh, somehow, he was able to get uh, a, a roster of officials, um, and he would call them up and these were official numbers and nobody was supposed to have them, but somehow he got a hold of a roster. Of the, and when he asked a question, they they thought he was maybe an official so they could answer him. So, <laughs> so they gave him information that they shouldn't have, uh, considering the policy at the time was to say nothing. It was, it was even more restrictive than the, uh, U.S. policy, um, and uh, he managed to get a uh, uh, an 
interview with uh, the base commander uh, in a 1957 radar case. Um, uh, exactly how they decided to do this is just kind of a strange thing. You know, they didn't usually do this. They sent the commander the the uh, file on the case so he could refresh his memory. And so when he talked to uh, Hennessy, he had he had the file right in front of his uh, uh, his on his desk while he was talking on the phone to Hennessy. So this this was a a, a coup for for uh, Julian. He uh, and of course he he became the uh, uh, NICAP. European. He was in charge of the NICAP European subcommittee, which had uh, uh, scientists, engineers, and an uh, airline pilot, and they investigated cases all over Europe. Um, well, did that include Germany? Yes, it did, but they didn't get too much from Germany. Uh, they Another thing they set up was a, uh, a European reporting center for airline pilots. So they would send, uh, it was called Euronet, and they would send uh, uh, things like meteors and satellite reentries and UFOs to Hennessy, and he would uh, forward them on to NICAP. Did you hear about the one in, on 23 August 52 uh, in Germany, or do you have a copy of it from the CIA file? It says country Germany military scientific daily newspaper Athens Greek nine July fifty two is published in the I, I Catherine Marini huh. I don't know why it's showing me to it it's flying saucers in Germany so I just sent you in your email so it says link uh, this is in the CI file, but why am I looking at it? I don't understand, but it came up. I wonder sometimes because I'm on voice, it seems to know what I want and pulls it up for me. It was an archive. Uh, it was classified. They blacked it out. So I sent it to you. It's four pages. It just says flying saucers in East Germany. So this is uh, 23 August 1952, but it says date published. 9 July 1952 by the Central Intelligence Agency. Information so that's from the, foreign uh, that's the, documents. Uh, that's about the... Oh, I can't remember the name offhand. Uh, Oscar Link, a 46-year-old Yeah, Oscar German. Link. Yeah, okay. So that that is an earlier case. The, the problem is people uh, see that it was published in 1952, and that's when they think it happened. It actually happened... In uh, 1950, wow, and Oscar, Oscar Link and his daughter were fleeing to the uh, Western Zone, um, and this UFO landed, and uh, they were able to report it afterwards. Uh, it also had occupants uh, associated with it. Um, Uh, and the CIA picked it up because it was published again in 52. But, 
Uh, the case actually happened in 1950. Um, oh, okay. It's well known. Uh, Dr. Leon Davidson, uh, uh, once again, uh, civilian saucer intelligence in New York, he got in touch with Link after he found out about this case and uh, sent Link a, a lengthy number of... Uh, he said, He didn't send him a questionnaire. He sent him... Uh, uh, pages of questions that he wanted Link to answer, and and Link did, you know. And I think Davidson even called him on the phone. So wow. It's a, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I think uh, when Tom was in Europe, he found out that the daughter was still uh, with us, and he. Uh, he tried to get an interview with her, but it, it, it didn't happen. It, um, the timing wasn't right. But so uh, he, his daughter is that Gabriella or Gabriella? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says Gabriella. Yeah. Okay. So she, and uh, said it looked, looked like a flying pan or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flying near a tree, and what was that? What did they mean by the cylinder? I noticed a large object whose diameter established between 1350 meters, like a huge frying pan. But it said it says in this report they had two rows of uh, periphery about 30 centimeters in circumference, and there was a space between the holes about 4.45 meters. On the top was a black conical tower about three three meters high. So we have to break it down into English, I guess. But said. she called her dad. The two men had been be- heard my daughter's voice because they immediately jumped on the conical tower and disappeared inside. But I don't know what the conical tower is. It it's, uh, it's on the top it. of the UFO. Oh, so. that's weird. That's really so, weird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So they got it. They yeah. They they got in and supposedly left. Uh, he he it's went before a magistrate. He he went before a magistrate and reported this and, uh, you know, took an oath and signed that this was true. Wow. So, uh, and he was... This this is an amazing little story. So, uh, how did you find out about it, Jan? I really want to bring this home to why we're alive now, if not to get all these stories that we can... But how how did you wind up knowing about this? Is this in well, your I, I, project? Uh, uh, no, I uh, um, I I got that from CSI originally, and then uh, and then NICAP. <clears throat> well, somebody uh, sure is helping me out out there. But thank you, folks. I guess they want to help us do a good job, whoever they is in the computer. I'm sure we're all linked somehow with all intelligence communities, right? But uh, it's all blacked out. So that was uh, it says date of information 1952, but it came right out of CIA.gov forward slash library forward slash reading room forward slash docs, and it's doc. It's uh, a bunch of zeros, five zeros one five four six four PDF daily right. newspaper. So. Anyway, I just sent you the link, but how, I don't know how we're going to do this since we're doing all this on radio. I guess we'll we may be able to type it all up because it picks everything picks up nowadays. Your voice, so there's one of many, many, many. 
Right. Uh-huh. The, uh, yeah, that was, uh, and like I said, uh, um, Blocher got all of, uh, Ted Blocher got all of uh, uh, Davidson's notes, so he wrote that up, so I have a, I have a uh, file here on that uh, that Ted did. Um, uh, he did. Uh, he sent me twelve early uh, landing reports that he thought were real good, were well investigated, um, and so. Uh, um, and he shared this with a number of other people. It's. Uh, but I, I had I had heard about this in the fifties. Uh, 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 this case is, I'm not want to say it's well known, but it's uh, fairly uh, well distributed around the UFO community. Uh, um, uh, it was in several books, I think. Uh, ah. Uh, they always use the wrong date, though. Uh, like I said, they use the 1952 date because that's when uh, most of the newspaper commentary was used on it. But it, but the actual case happened in 1950, and I'm, I'm trying to get on my uh, uh, computer here to uh, find the actual date. Let's see. That's uh, uh, and like I said, it, uh, of course, Davidson was a uh, was skeptical of landing cases, so uh, he really grilled Link. He really, um, like, interrogated him, and he wasn't very nice about it, but. Uh, you know, Link didn't didn't have much to. Uh, he didn't. Uh, it didn't bother him that uh, you know that apparently uh, um, Davidson was being so harsh. Um, well, um, um, uh, yeah, I'm looking around. Yeah, I'm still looking here. I don't see it offhand. Uh, let me try to do it. Well, uh, we've got so many cases, but that just shocks me that you know about that because it just flashed up. I hadn't even heard about that. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, folks, but I'm okay with that. I'm doing the best I can to stay advised as to what I'm supposed to know on a Daily basis in the now. <laughs> I hope you're all that way. So, thank you for listening and caring about what we're putting together with Jan. I keep saying Harzan, but I mean Jan Aldrich. Jan Harzan is the president of of uh, Mutual UFO Network in California. He's doing a good job there with uh, that nonprofit. And then uh, Jan and I are over here and doing our best to get some things on line here on radio shows. So things that he may or may not have already in writing. Apparently, this one I mentioned he did have fit right in there. So there are some you can go find out about. Any more that information, Jan? Uh, 
So uh, we got this one. Yeah, I'm going to do a search under Germany, see how that works. Okay. It had Germany and, uh, let me see, the link. I'll, uh, I don't want to get too far off the beaten track or I'll lose you. Yeah. But I did send you an email right. uh, about it. But I just threw the link in and I, I guess it's going to take a while to get everything that we want out there to personnel or to people that are civilian right. and well, uh, we're this, retired this, military. Yeah. Um, this case is now uh, better known than it was. So it's in a number of books now. It's not something that's, although it, it's usually it's in, it's, in the, it's in with the date that says 1952. So that's not uh yeah. Well, how do you ca- characterize right right now? We're going from CSI to NICAP, and then we wind up at CUFOs. So, so and I've just mentioned Jan Harzan at Mutual UFO Network. So, uh, you're talking about NICAP, NICAP, and Don Berliner or Berliner. Right. Maybe he does say it's Berliner, like Berlin, yeah, yeah, Germany. Well, that's, yeah. You heard yeah, him say uh, it, Berliner. I've tried. I've tried to. Uh, the, uh, the last few times I went to Kalamazoo, we tried to uh, arrange a uh, an interview with him, but he uh, he can't. He couldn't make it because oh, okay. you know he's uh, he's getting up there. He, we need to uh, we need to get his uh, input, get him uh, uh, oral history. Uh, yeah, he was born in '46. He He's five years older than me. I was born in '51. Yeah, so but, he, uh, uh, I'll find out. He's so we were we were uh, trying to get a uh, an oral history so that that would be on file because there's not very many people left w- walking around that uh, 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 worked for NICAP at the time. Uh, right. We do have, yeah, I think we have Dick Hall on uh, in one interview. We have an interview about his time at NICAP. Um, and of course, uh, you know, some of these guys gave other, you know, interviews. Uh, uh, Major Keogh uh, gave a long interview with uh, Bob Pratt, so uh, we've got that. Um, and of course, it, you know, they were always talking to the press, so. Um, he wrote UFO briefing document with Whitley Strieber. It's That's like Berliner. 2000. Berliner. That's yeah. Don Berliner. Okay. Crash at Corona list. Uh, I guess he helped Stanton Friedman. I'm not sure. Don Berliner. Don Berliner. <laughs> and several about different other aviation aircraft uh, model yeah, airplanes. Yeah, he was an aviation writer. Yeah. It was really nice to me when I called him. He was very interested in uh, UFOs, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, I'll see what I can do about rounding maps if it was possible these days. But, uh, okay, so your NICAP and Don Berliner worked there, and you had worked there. So uh, no, I just where are we now? I, I never worked for him. I just, I just went down and visited, you know, for maybe uh, – 
one week, two weeks, three weeks um, uh, during the time they were active. So I, I would just visit. I, I made about uh, um, uh, I, I think it was uh, 12 or 13 visits while uh, from uh, uh, 60 onward. Who came up with the name? It doesn't say in Wikipedia. It just says founded October 24th, 1956. National well, Investigation Committee. At, at first, it, was, it didn't have anything to do with Keogh. Uh There was a small group in Washington that uh, uh, that came up with the name, and uh, the uh, the guy that was in charge was T. Thompson Brown, and he was like a gravity researcher. Uh, and, uh, uh, he, uh, he started it in 1956. Uh, Keogh took over in 1957 at, in, uh, January, um, with Admiral Farney, who had been the, uh, Navy, uh, uh, missile, had been the, the father of the Navy missile program. Farney was uh, uh, really well known in uh, Navy circles and uh, rocketry circles. So as soon as his name came up, people started calling him with UFO reports. So uh, both Keogh and Farney were were well known. So they they uh, elicited a lot of UFO reports. People came forward. And like I said, the uh, civilian saucer intelligence in New York, uh, eventually it was just folded into NICAP. And then NICAP was, uh, their files were sold to uh, KUFOS. And so uh, uh, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, should we say, the, the genealogy of, uh, of Kufos there, uh, uh, they also got the uh, the other uh, large UFO organization on the West Coast uh, civilian uh, saucer investigations in Los Angeles. Uh, NICAP picked up their files, so all these files are now together at Kufos. It's uh, uh, since we've lost so many people's files, this is a really uh, excellent uh, archives uh, uh, with uh, four big uh, organizations that had thousands of uh, of uh, sightings and everything and. Uh, did did uh, very good investigations. So um, uh, the Kufos files are are a treasure as far as people that want to know about UFOs. Now here's some of the FBI files. The vault dot FBI dot gov. That's got right. 28 pages on this one. So the FBI has reported. The FBI has thousands of documents. 
And unfortunately, a lot of documents were destroyed. Um, but Maccabee, uh, Bruce Maccabee, uh, got a lot of the, he was one of the first ones to get the documents. Um, and there's, uh, there's about, uh, at, at the headquarters, there's, there's over a thousand documents. Um, they're not, uh, indexed or, uh, classified. There's, uh, some of them have sightings, some of them have, uh, FBI agents that attended briefings from the Air Force and, other, and the CIA on UFOs. Um, there's a lot of good information in there. Uh, uh, Bruce wrote a book on that called the FBI-CIA Connection, but uh, even so, it still doesn't. Uh, it doesn't have every. You know, it doesn't. It's like a pile of documents that nobody's classified. Right. I'm looking at one here on the Devil's Index, Lake, North index, Dakota. In, index these things. Um, and like I say, some of them are uh, um, uh, uh, they contain uh, really good uh, information uh, you know, because the FBI agents would go to Air Force briefings and then they would write up a, a uh, uh, their notes. They'd write up their notes about what was discussed, and and some in some cases the FBI files contain things that are not in the Air Force files. Um, to a certain extent, uh, CIA files. There's about 900 pages of those. Um, they also contain uh, about. Uh, 250 case files in there, so that's uh, that's an interesting uh, collection. Uh, nobody's really uh, indexed that either. Um, uh, besides the Air Force files, there's uh, the uh, the Air Force has a uh, well, uh, let's put it this way. The Army has a criminal investigation service, but the Air Force has what they call the Office of Special Investigations. And they also invest they also ahead. investigated UFOs. Yeah, here's and that's a letter separate from, from Blue Book. Letters to the SAC at New Orleans. Now that's the special agent in charge. Ah. The SAC is the special agent. Yeah, clerical employees of the New Orleans Division is uh, interested in aerial phenomena and wants to become a member of captioned organization. This organization is directed by Major Donald E. Kehoe, U.S. Marine Corps, and is headquartered at 1536 Connecticut Avenue, Northwest Washington, 6 D.C., and the call stated that he has acknowledged the objective of this organization are to keep records of all sightings of unidentified flying objects and to make the information concerning them available to the public as the organization feels that the U.S. government is making an effort to suppress this type of information. So this was made back in 61. 
It says indictments right. of the New Orleans Division are negative concerning captioned organization. Files of this office reflect that it's early 1950, an article concerning a flying disc appeared in True Magazine, written by one Donald Kehoe, who is possibly identical with Major Kehoe. The Bureau has requested to advise the Office of any information on its files concerning captioned organization, that's NICAP, and whether or not there would be any objection to a clerical employee of the Bureau becoming an active member of the same. Now, isn't that interesting? Right, So they're writing to the director of the FBI, Hubert Hoover. Wow. To ask permission, right, to be a member. Right. So, um, uh, 1956, um, uh, these two government employees are riding through uh, the Carolinas.
I wonder why they kept there. I'm reading this stuff right now on this one case the FBI had, but it's like the kids think it has to do with communism. So is yeah, everybody reason? was. Uh, remember now, that's uh, you know in the fifties uh, we had the Red Scare and everything. So um, a lot of people, if they would find out about NICAP, they would uh, suggest maybe it was communist, especially since it criticized um, the government and the Air Force. So. So they thought it was just propaganda put out by the communists. Yeah, yeah. So the the FBI did investigate NICAP a couple of times, and uh, uh, Hoover didn't think much of Keogh. He thought he was a sensational writer, but uh, uh, NICAP, uh, the FBI, pretty well uh, decided that they had nothing to do with communism. So. But a number of people did suggest that knew about NICAP that they were some kind of a propaganda organization, or uh, and like I say, this was this was during the fifties, and you had the Red Scare, so people were um, uh, they were thinking that a lot of organizations might be uh, communist fronts and things. Yeah, there's a note here in the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover file, note, correspondence is unidentified, not identifiable. The National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena has not been investigated by the Bureau, meaning the FBI. A number of inquiries have been received concerning organization during recent years. Information available for the Bureau reflects that the NICAP was founded in 1956. The group reportedly has criticized the Air Force for keeping information concerning unidentified flying objects from the public. This group has, it's a little blocked out. This group has corresponded with the Bureau since 57, and its director, Donald E. Kehoe, has been known to the Bureau since the 1930s. He's been a freelance writer for national magazines, and a flamboyant style has a something I can't read character in his articles. In the past, when he has written concerning topics of direct interest to the Bureau, he has found, we have found much of his material to says go to the next page. This stuff is really interesting. It won't go to the next page. That's it. Darn it. They didn't put the whole thing. No, that's aggravating. Even the FBI. It says you got to go to the next page, but it won't let me. Right. It says page 28. I'm on the FBI record bolt. Okay. Then, oh, here. Let's see if I can go down below 28 on this page. It's got uh, page 28. Will it go any farther? No, it's a 28 28. They didn't even include the whole letter. It said go to the next page, but it won't. So they don't even have all of it in this file. <laughs> the vault. It says right. National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, NICAP, part two of three. So, oh, maybe there's a third part. Well, that's not fun. Then you got to go find the other part. That's why I say that thing, is, the, the FBI files is not indexed well. It's not indexed at right. all. I started to do some indexing, but uh, I can't do everything. Right. This is a lot of work in just the two I pulled up. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 uh, it's 
it's it's not easy. So it's you know. <clears throat> Are you uh, laying yourself like they did? They've got somebody. I used to do this kind of microfishing where you lay it down, but they put four pages: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They lay them out eight and a half by eleven and photograph them. They have to do one at a time, I guess. Right. That's amazing how much we don't have right now. So. Another reason you want to keep talking, right? But what this gives people, this is, F, we had the CIA library and the FBI record, the vault. So, right. You want me to send you this, or you already know about it? I already know about it. Yeah, okay. So we're talking I, I about do, I do have I do have um, uh, copies of most of the stuff from the headquarters files. And like I say, I do have... Some of the files from the city FBI offices, like Seattle and Los Angeles. Um, I don't think we had anything from New York or Boston or some of these other. Uh, uh, Alamogordo, uh, excuse me, not Alamogordo. Uh, um, There was a uh, uh, a uh, Santa Fe office. We got some minor stuff from Santa Fe, but the the big one is uh, Albuquerque. Albuquerque. We got a lot of stuff from Albuquerque. A lot of it's about the uh, the Socorro incident. The yeah. FBI. Uh, that was with that sheriff, wasn't it, that saw yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. The FBI got in there and investigated that, even though uh, there's nothing about it in the uh, Blue Book files. But uh, they they looked into that and several other cases out there to, to, at the same time. So uh, uh, I guess the Gallagher sighting, uh, the Air Force said, well, that was just uh, – these guys started a fire, and uh, uh, they said that's where these um, the markings on the ground for the uh, for this other other sighting that the, the Air Force investigated. The FBI said they talked to Galagos, who had a you know this sighting is a few days after. Uh, Socorro. So the uh, uh, they talked to uh, Galagos, and they, he uh, the, the, he impressed the FBI agency. They said, you know, we we think that this guy is telling the truth, as far as he knows what it is. Uh, we don't, you know, they were they they were their idea was opposed to what the Air Force had. So they they kind of thought that this guy was was uh, reliable, while the Air Force said it was a hoax. So, so that's inter- it's interesting, you know. The uh, um, uh, the the FBI files mention that the Air Force isn't uh, giving them uh, necessarily all the information that they have too. So. Um, uh, during the Washington Nationals, uh, um, the FBI uh, asked for a briefing. 
uh, right during the uh, July 52 flap. And uh, Colonel Boyd, who uh, worked in the Air Force Intelligence, even though he's a Navy guy, he's the one that gave the uh, FBI a briefing. Um, And I just... uh, uh, Colonel Boyd's son uh, did a little uh, invest, uh, a little uh, biography of his father. So uh, I just saw that uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and so that was interesting. It was interesting to uh, to know more about the uh, uh, this intelligence officer. Is uh, he had quite a career. He's in command of ships, um, so he was uh, he was a, a major leaguer, and he's the one <laughs> Navy guy giving the FBI a briefing on the Air Force uh, UFO program. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Here's a note on this file. It says Majestic Twelve. In 1988, two FBI officers received similar versions of a memo titled Operation Majestic 12, claiming to be highly classified government document. The memo appeared to be a briefing for newly elected President Eisenhower on a secret committee created to exploit a recovery of an extraterrestrial aircraft and cover up this work from public examination. In the Air Force investigation, Determined the document to be a fake, and that's what you say. That was this is in the uh, unexplained phenomenon file. So right. you got to know the the words, not just UFOs, but flying saucers, unexplained phenomenon, and I don't even know. You know these FOI flying files. Disc, you, yeah. Flying, flying disc, disc too, fireballs, huh? all these all these names are involved. Here's one Roswell UFO on July 8, 1947, the FBI Dallas field office sent a teletype regarding a flying disc that resembled a high-altitude high weather balloon found near Roswell. This single page is a serial from the larger UFO release found at HTTP vault FBI government dot slash UFO. So these these are files to say you know, go find it somewhere else under unexplained phenomenon. Let me see if if I click on the link. Have you ever tried that? Or they're not. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've tried that. I, I like I said, I started uh, indexing those things, but you know, you got other things you got to do too. Project so, Blue Book. You have I didn't. Ex- I didn't get. Yes, uh, Barry, Barry Greenwood did index the. Uh, the Office of Special Investigations files. Um, and so we have that index. So it's, you know, once you, once you have an index like that, you can, you can uh, um, look in the Project Blue Book files and look for further information and uh, related information and things like that. And, uh, it helps. So what would help is the FBI files and the CIA files being indexed and um, 
uh, Richard Hall did make a list of all the sighting reports in the CIA files, so that's that's helpful. That's a start. Um, so now he worked for NICAP. Yes, he did. He was the assistant director. All right. It says he died July seventeenth, two thousand nine. But he was a leading ufologist and proponent right. of Kehoe's Alsters NICAP director. All left NICAP to work on technical writing and editing. National Investigations Committee Committee on Aerial Phenomenon NIC. I guess on is silent. AP. And Richard Hall, now he wrote the UFO evidence. Is that correct? That's right. He, just, he, uh, he wrote the UFO evidence volume one, and more recently he wrote volume two, which brings it up to date to about uh, the year 2000. Looks like he's got a couple of PDFs on here. This is Art Eric Winkle, Ald Winkle, Eugene Bergeron. Now I know his name. Jane Campbell, Earl Jeff. There's two uh, PDFs here with Richard Hernis Hall, director of NICAP request, through Major Willie, Willie Kehoe. Interesting. Now, uh, 78. So is he still alive? Richard Hall, 78. No, no, he dead. passed away, no. He was never abducted and never saw a UFO. A candle in the see Richard F. Hall Foster study of UFO sightings. Oh, he even looks familiar. So he's passed on, Richard Hall right. Fostering so study of UFO you know, sightings. Uh, uh, Don Berliner's probably one of the one of the few that's left. Well. Um, Diana Sinclair Knopp, if somebody could find her, that uh, she could tell a tale. Because so she was like the it, administrative assistant there. So it looks like Richard Hall died in 2009. It says, it was 78 right. when he died July 17th in his home in Britwood, Maryland, of colon cancer. The last breed of John Carlson, University of Maryland, astronomer Carlson said that Mr. Hill. This child's generation of UFO enthusiasts approached questions of the universe using the scientific method, not as believers in the intergalactic phantasm. He was scientific. He was a researcher. Huh. Well, you know, if that was going on then, they were 10 years ago, folks, they still separate real UFO researchers from I don't know. I guess they think anybody that believes in them uh, says he was proponent of what's known in ufology jargon as the extraterrestrial hypotheses. He believed that UFOs carried alien life forms and spacecraft that visited Earth. Very interesting. Uh, it says the study of UFOs at the embassy came to Washington in 1958 to work for NICAP, just like you did, right? Right, but I I didn't work for NICAP. I volunteered, and I just I just did it in small uh, uh, I I did it in small visits. 
Although later on, when they uh, when they got to know me, they let me take stuff home to work on. It says that Mr. Hall uh, learned of NICAP while he was studying mathematics at Tulane University in New Orleans. So as a scholarship student, he uh, had duties that included opening, sorting, and delivering the mail. So he had written to the university's one-man astronomy department asking for scientific support for the UFO organization. So Mr. Hall, a fan of Kehoe's books, said he immediately offered his services after graduating. So he became a major figure at NICAP. But life as a ufologist wasn't lucrative. <laughs> he left the organization in the late 1960s uh, because of his impending marriage, which soon ended in divorce. Aw. So we'll be reading our epitaph someday from up above. But Mr. Hall confined. Well, let's see. He continued to write UFOs and served the organization of UFO sightings and phenomena. Now, it looks like they're the larger scientific community dismissed ufology because of the lack of empirical data to search and research. But somebody, Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at SETI, said there are tens of thousands of reports of UFO sightings. The bottom line, 90% can't, can be explained as something prosaic. 10% is what it was. And ufologists say there's a margin in that with their aliens. So I said, we don't even have 10% evidence, and that was 10 years ago. Now, you believe with your work, a lot of this has changed? This was in Globe newspaper, Boston. Yeah, I do. You know, I, 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 I more or less agree with what was said there. Okay. I mean, most, most, uh, most UFO re- reports can be explained. Um the ones that can are the ones that are interesting. Um, and uh, the thing is, it's, you know, it, uh, uh, I mean, some people report things that are, you know, meteors and uh, weather balloons and things like that. And it's, it's pretty easy to trace them. I think I said before that, uh, Blocher used to be the one, Ted Blocher would get the reports, and he would uh, parcel them out to people, um, to NICAP. They had what they called subcommittees that investigated UFOs in certain areas like Massachusetts and Rhode Island and New Hampshire, uh, Washington State. They had several in Texas and several in New York. So he would parcel them out to those people. Uh, if there was no buddy that could investigate the case, he gave it to Diana and she would write the, uh, uh, the witness and ask him to fill out a report for him and uh, give further, uh, information. Now, some of these report forms would come in, and they would definitely be meteors or aircraft. or And most uh, witnesses don't say that they saw an extraterrestrial spaceship. They just say, they, I saw something unusual. Um, of course, an identified flying phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, and they, uh, 
the press likes to ridicule anybody that sees anything like that, so that makes people not want to uh, report these things. But and and, 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 and I, I've read I've read thousands of UFO reports. Most witnesses are. Uh, um, they just said I saw something I couldn't figure out what it was. Oh. They don't they don't usually have a, a an idea about what what it is they saw. They just said I saw something unusual and I thought I I should tell somebody. Uh but the press likes to re uh, ridicule these people. It's it, it's part of the part of the paradigm. Um and of course, the, offici- uh, the official investigation, you know, after the after the early fifties, was the same thing. And it made a, you know, the Air Force made a big deal about making a joke about UFOs every time they talked about them. So, and they actually got some uh, um, celebrities to, uh, you know, on the. TV and radio and to uh, uh, to more or less uh, do the same thing. You know, Art Linkletter would talk about, you know, he would talk about some silly UFO uh, case that was obviously a hoax and make fun of it. Uh, and uh, uh, so that it was, it was a way of uh, of suppressing uh, people talking about the uh, UFO phenomena, um, uh, because you were, you know, you were liable to be uh, thought of as as a as a nutcase. So. And that was what NICAP was fighting against. They were fighting against that. They were trying to get uh, people to take it seriously. Um, uh, SETI, I guess, was back then. Now, SETI, that's Search for Extraterrestrial. Yeah, but they don't don't want anybody. They they don't want to talk about UFOs. Those people don't. Uh, except for Frank Drake, I mean, he was the guy. You might be call him the father of SETI, yes. but he was he was willing to talk about that every once in a while. Carl fact, Sagan and Frank Drake said founded 1984 Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Now they got him a logo, and the S is turned backwards with a dot under it, like a question mark. The SETI Institute. Now uh, Sagan, in his early days, and uh, another astronomer named Hawkins, um, when they were just young, newly graduated astronomers, were more open to UFOs. I think Sagan got more or less told, you know, if you keep this up, your reputation will not be that great. Um, well, it is more accepted now, and you can find information that's real on the right, FBI but, files or the but, CIA but, library. But, uh, like I say, both Hawkins and and Sagan, when they were young in this in the six in the nineteen sixties, 
uh, would talk about UFOs uh, with uh, they were they were not they'd be non-committal, and then Sagan became a, a major uh, skeptic. Well, I never thought of me chasing uh, and, and, aliens. And Hawkins, uh, Hawkins, kind of. Uh, 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 Stop talking about them all together. So, like I yeah, said, yeah, I have it, a lot of friends that stopped. So it's just about the discouragement of how you prove what you've seen, I guess. And do you believe they're multidimensionals or could be? I think there's several theories that you know might explain what they are. So, um, I don't have any favorite one particularly. What's your best I, I just think guess? there's several. You know, there's there's a number of theories. I, I doubt that they're uh, from from the future, though. <clears throat> I, I I have problems with that. Uh, well, I've seen them, but I've always seen them sped off. They didn't just disappear. I always saw them like take off. Yeah. There's there's some that seem to just disappear, just blink out. Yep. Uh, so they're just there and then blink off the they're light. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's seen not that just in my that's mind. just not just the visually. That's you know radar too. They just seem to um, go out of sight or just they completely disappear. Um, uh, then the when you have these. Uh, uh, satellite object cases where you have a big one and. Uh, a little one and the the uh, small uh, smaller UFOs uh, merge with the big one or seem to come out of the big one. Uh, when the big one goes away, some they just seem to pull a, a disappearing act. Um, like I say, they're there and all of a sudden they're not so big and then they're gone. So those are those are kind of strange too, way way strange. Um, so it's I'm not sure that that uh, there's one explanation for all UFOs, but I think there's the ones that are unknown. They may have multiple explanations. They may have more than one explanation. There may be more than one thing happening here. Uh, <clears throat> people don't like that. They like to have everything be uh, you know uh, extraterrestrial. Um, but uh, well, I like mean in the early days everybody thought they came from Mars. Now that's pretty well that's pretty well gone because we know what Mars is like and what Venus is like, so. Uh, um, uh, but in the in the early days, we didn't know much about what the other planets were like. People thought, well, Venus is covered by clouds, and it could, you know, have life. And now we found out that the surface is super hot. And uh, nothing, probably uh, nothing that we know of could live there. So 
that's pretty well eliminated. Mars is really cold, and the atmosphere is really thin. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of eliminated too. So now we're thinking they come from. Some people are thinking they come from other star systems, or some people think they're coming from another dimension, or they use some kind of unusual physics to travel. Um, yeah, they may um, not need wormholes. They probably can. Yeah, there's all kinds of wormholes. A lot of this is, no. uh, uh, of course, you know, with the popular popularity of Star Trek, uh, uh, they think that's a thing. And, of course, then you have the Stargate. That's a science fiction thing. And uh, ufologists just jump aboard those trains, too. Um, uh, that's why I don't try to think about I'm not too interested in uh in theories or what's happening. I am interested in uh, uh, trying to classify the sightings and see if there's anything um, if there's similarities between cases which there are obviously um and yeah, being measurements, scientific, yeah, logical, things like that. reality so that you can measure. That's, a, that's the kind of thing I want to do. And, um, uh, you know. Uh, it's hard to do experiencers because there's no proof. It's just based on yeah, it's, their yeah, words, you, uh, you, uh, including myself. <laughs> I mean, there's some, of these, I some of these things uh, go into thousands of pages, and when you get through reading it, you say, well, Exactly what have we found out that's something new that we don't already know? It's, uh, you know, it's just, uh, 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 like I say, it's thousands of pages, but as far as gaining any useful information from it, it's it's a great story. And it's like you said, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to bring anything out of there, and when you do, yeah. and when you do, it 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 turns out that you know some of these things that that the people bring back with them, the stories they bring back with them are just uh, they're unsupportable. So that's uh, that's a hard that's a hard nut to crack right there. It's a hard sure nut is. to crack. So. Uh, well, you've been collecting all of the. So after NICAP, you went to Kufos. Is that correct? Or you went to Germany in between? But yeah, I went to Germany for. Straight. Yeah, I went to Germany for about seven years. So, but um, you know, there were times when my job wasn't that demanding, so I could do some stuff in UFOs. Um, I didn't get to travel enough so I could meet ufologists in Germany or France or England. Um, but uh, Yeah, I didn't meet too many in-country or out-of-country. I based right. mine on my first-hand experiences, sightings. And back in the day, in the early 80s, I tried to take pictures, and they wouldn't take, ever. So by the time my daughter took one here in Gulf Breeze, she sent it to me to Kentucky before I moved down here, and I was just shocked that they let her take a picture. And uh, I gave it to MUFON, but the, uh, to Barry Gaunt, but 
He said he couldn't do much with it. He couldn't tell. Look, it was fading in, fading out. It's on my book cover or on the back in 2008. But it looked like one coming into, uh, either fading out or coming in, but it's definitely there. You can definitely see it. So uh, I just figured it was going stealth or either coming out of stealth. So I'll have to find that. It's on the Internet and send it to you. Right. So, uh, yeah, photographs have really been a disappointment. So, uh, movies are 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 harder to uh, to do uh, to you know they're more uh, they're more interesting. They're harder to fake, that's for sure. Now today, videos are not that hard to fake. You've got the. Uh, All kinds of uh, things that can be used to, uh, you know, make and enhance videos. Uh, actually, movie film is hard to to fake anything with. Um, so, uh, well, you wanted to talk about. Uh some of the people that you may have forgotten are people that are around the world because we're making this UFO association going to be international and we'll start bringing people on other people to share your story. But uh, the lady that worked at NICAP and then you also want, did you interview the lady from that talks about she's from Venus or are you up on any of the stories shared? <coughs> I'm sure you are. That's, that's we tried to interview uh, things. We tried to interview Howard they, Danger. Tell and, us about him. And uh, his wife said, uh, told us that uh, Howard doesn't give interviews. And I said, you know, oh, I said, yeah, right, wrong. But I think she's a. Uh, She's the big. She's the one that uh, she's younger, and she's kind of protecting him. He's, he was he was kind of old when we tried to interview him, but uh, that's the. Uh, she is the Saturanian, my Saturanian lover, who is Howard Menger. They they were supposedly reincarnated from Saturn. Well, I don't think anybody really lives on Saturn, but. Uh, it was just interesting because he was a part of the the uh, UFO history, and it would be interesting to get him on um, tape. We interviewed a number of people that uh, uh, are like that. Uh, uh, it wasn't the main thrust of our interviews, so we were trying to get people that had witnessed UFOs or had been somehow involved in official investigations or, you know, some of the uh, the UFO people. So we interviewed uh, Olson, and he was Rupelt's number two. So he had been working in Blue Book. He had been in charge for for a few months. So he, he worked with Rupelt. Uh, and they were good friends. Now we interviewed another uh, another of Rupel's lieutenants who was named Rothstein, and 
wasn't too happy with Rupelt. Um, he he was kind of uh, uh, standoffish about doing an interview, but we finally convinced him to do one. And he had he had some interesting things to say about how the uh, Project Blue Book was run out there. Um, uh, one of the one of the things he said, well, everybody seemed to like Rupel. Uh, he was uh, he was somebody that really uh, most people thought he was uh, you know a fellow a good fellow and everything like that. Rothstein. Uh, he almost uh, he almost ruined Rothstein's career, not because he wanted to, but because he he made the mistake of uh, um, talking to a Navy guy, and this uh, he gave Rothstein an evaluation, and the Navy guy says, "Well, here's how you uh, here's how we do uh, officer evaluations. You." Uh, you figure that you know people have flaws and everything. So when you talk about people, you tell the truth. You know there are good points and there are bad points. Well, that's not the way the Air Force operated at the time, especially Air Force intelligence. So if you didn't say that uh, that guy uh, walked on water and was the greatest. Uh, asset that you've ever had it was considered a uh, a derogatory report (laughs) so Ruppelt uh, followed this uh, Navy guy at at right field and and did what he told him to do his naval officer and uh, Rothstein's career was almost uh, destroyed because of that uh so he was not too happy about uh, um, Rupel. Now we interviewed uh, a CIA agent uh, uh, or a CIA uh, analyst, uh, Frederick Durant, and he was—he's uh, the guy that wrote up the memorandum for the uh, uh, for the uh, Robertson panel that they had in the CIA in 1953. So we we were, you know, we wanted to really uh, talk to him. And uh, he kind of gave us some um, rather, we thought, uh, not the whole truth and anything but the truth, but he did give us some interesting information. And he liked Rupelt. He and Rupelt were friendly. So uh, almost everybody liked Rupelt. It was uh, it was quite interesting. And of course, Keogh liked Rupelt. Um, they cooperated for a while, and then uh, later on, when Rupelt uh, changed his tune a little bit, uh, uh, he took a, he took a lot of stabs at Keogh. But uh, like I say, he was uh, he was almost universally liked, and uh, uh, of course he did he did write the article for he wrote an article for True. Uh, then he wrote his book uh, report on unidentified flying objects, 
and uh, he was involved in the making of the movie UFO, which was a documentary on actually uh, uh, the uh, you could have called it the Al Chop story. It was about the uh, Pentagon spokesman for UFOs, uh, Al Chop, and uh, uh, he was actually in in the. Uh, film. He had a, he had a couple of cameos in the uh, movie. It didn't make any money. Uh, it's like Al Chop said. I I had uh, he said I had five percent of the the money they made. He said so. I got five percent of nothing is nothing. Um, a lot of people like the movie UFOs, but it just didn't uh, enough people didn't go to see it. And I think that's why uh, documentary makers they uh, they have to try to soup up everything they when they start talking about UFOs they have to try to soup up the um, the way uh, things happened and everything and and just talking about a uh, an unusual case that can't be explained is not good enough for them they have to. Uh, uh, make it sound even. Uh, they have to Hollywood it up, so to speak. Uh, add all kinds of things to it and make it more sensational than it was. And that's a, that's been a problem all during the uh, whole UFO controversy. Uh, the uh, the entertainment industry. Uh, view of how UFOs should be presented. The, uh, so. well, we're still right at the founding of NICAP, and uh, how many years, let's see, you went to Germany and came back in 94, but when you were, you were a child, uh, high school, and then you worked, then you went to the military, and then you came back and continued as a ufologist? Yeah, how yeah. do you want to say that? Well, when like, uh, when when I I went into the army in '67, so um, uh, I got sent to uh, Fort Lee, which is really close to Washington D.C. So I could visit NICAP. Yeah. In in '67, '68, then I went overseas to Korea. And I kept in touch with uh, Isabel Davis and uh, Ted, and uh, <clears throat> then I came back from there. And then I was assigned to Fort. Uh, I was assigned to uh, uh, to Louisiana, Fort Polk. Well, so Fort then Polk. I could uh, I could go up and see uh, in the. In uh, 69, 70, 71, I could uh, visit NICAP. You're, did uh, you ever go to the uh, hall? I was there with the, a group of girls. It was like a Bob Hope UFO tour thing, but the, there were wood barracks, and one room was a big, like a big open floor, and uh, you could go upstairs and look down on the floor. Did you go in that building at Fort Polk? You know which one I'm talking about? That was in the sixties. Uh-huh. Uh, I 
I don't. I guess they all I look really, alike. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure I remember that. I know they had. Yeah. They had firepower demonstrations out there where they got everybody to see what it looked like when you know when the, you know, artillery and jets and tanks and everything was firing at once. They 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 had those things. That's about. Yeah, I I don't think I won wow. any. Um. You stayed at Fort Polk. I stayed at Fort Polk for almost two and a half years. So. Good lands. What's the city right there outside of Shreveport? Uh, Leesville. It's it, yeah. It's not so bad now, but that was the that was the part. Of, you know, that was when the Vietnam was really going on. Yep. And and uh, um, then I got sent to Korea again. So then after I came back, I went to Fort Hood after that. And, again, I was, you know, was, <laughs> I was able to get up to NICAP a, a, a few times then. And uh, we, I lived in Connecticut. So when I came back home, uh, we had a Connecticut affiliate. Now, NICAP had subcommittees which investigated things and uh, affiliates which uh, – uh, you might just say it was like they had local meetings, like uh, sometimes the MUFON people here in Connecticut, they have a meeting every month. Well, that's what the NICAP Connecticut did. We had a meeting every did month, so I got to go to those. Did you go to any I, in Fort Hood? Huh? In Killeen? Did you go to any in Fort Hood or off base at Killeen? Yeah, yeah, there was not much around where I was. I think there was one in Houston. Uh, yes. But I never, I never got out to use. Well, I got out to Houston the first week I was there, but um, uh, Fort Hood was, you know, it's kind of a. Uh, there's a lot to do at Fort Hood, so uh, I, like I said, I worked in meteorology. Some of that's, uh, you have to run stuff 24 hours a day, so it's not. Um, you know, uh, if I had to leave, I would go to NICAP. Uh, but generally, we had, like I said, we had, we usually had pretty much uh, in meteorology. You have to, <clears throat> you have to go 24 hours a day, and half the time you don't have all the people you need. So <clears throat> it's kind of hard to go somewhere unless you take a leave. Um, after that, I, I went back to, uh, I got, I got swept up in the last, last of Vietnam, uh, and they tried to send me to Vietnam. And when I, uh, when I got to the replacement center, they said, no, we have no more use for your job here in Vietnam. You have to, uh. Uh, you're not going to Vietnam. You're going to Korea again. I said, well, this is the third time. <laughs> and he said, good, welcome to Korea. <laughs> so so then I was in Korea for a while. Um, and I came back, and I was at Fort Sill. And at uh, at that time, the Keogh, uh regime had, uh, had passed on. And... Uh, while I visited NICAP twice more 
after 1970s, um, uh, the welcome wasn't, uh, it wasn't that warm a welcome and uh, they did, they, you know, they, they really didn't want, want me uh, getting into the files or anything, so um, I had, had pretty much uh, abandoned uh, my interest in NICAP, and uh, I was interested in, uh, by this time, uh, I was in APRO, and I was in um, uh, MUFON when it started up. So uh, that was uh, that was more interesting, and then uh, uh, I went to uh, I was at Fort Sill for a while. Uh, what year did you join MUFON? After APRO in Wisconsin, or yeah, yeah, uh, it, it had to be in the. I want to say 74. I'm not even sure when MUFON started. Well, uh, I may be wrong. In the, it was in the 70s. Uh, 74, 75. They were still doing something called Skylook. They didn't have a MUFON journal then. It was Skylook. And uh, actually, I thought that was a fairly good thing. I also met during that time period, I met... Uh, um, the MUFON had their 50th anniversary this year, so it must have been 69. Huh? Yeah. So I didn't join them, I think, till 72 or so. Um, then I met Lewis Farish, or I didn't meet him. I, I started corresponding with him. And so, uh, and Charles Flood. And they were interested uh, in UFOs before 1947. And so we had about uh, uh, 12 people. We had a little uh, group. Um, Charles Flood was one of the better, more uh, interested guys. And uh, Louis Farish, is, uh, Lou Farish was... Uh, uh, really interested in historical UFOs. So what we would do is we would find things in the newspaper, in the old newspapers, you know, 1800s and things like that before 1947. And we, what you do is you make copies. You make copies of these old things and you send them to, like I'd send mine to, to Lou, Lou would get my stuff, he'd take it out of the envelope, he'd copy it, and he'd send it to to Charles Flood and some of the other people that we had on our list there. And uh, we'd send them in a round-robin type of thing. And uh, once you copied somebody else's stuff, you were supposed to take stuff and put it in the envelope and send it on. And it would come around. We kept, you know, it kept coming around. So that was... uh, that was an interesting thing, and the idea of historical UFOs were not really, uh, I mean, it was popular, but it wasn't It wasn't like it, you know, it, it, it came. Uh, Gordon Lore, who worked at NICAP, and he is still around, and we interviewed.
interviewed him just recently. We interviewed him in um, California, and he was at NICAP. And he wrote one of the first uh, books just on historical UFOs. Uh, uh, And uh, uh, Mysteries in the Sky, he wrote that book. And uh, with uh, Harold Denault, I never met Harold Denault. I did meet Gordon. He doesn't remember me, though. That's the the thing of getting old. So... uh, in fact, he married uh, Dick Hall's uh, wife once they once they were divorced and went out to California. So we interviewed him in California. Uh, he told us as uh, in '69, as NICAP to, appeared to fall apart, that uh, he and Dick Hall and Don Berliner and Ted Blocher uh, uh, copied as much as they could of the files before uh because they had they had an idea that something was up and they were you know they were probably not going to be working there anymore so uh they copied the files so when I went out to see Gordon I copied his files and these are some of the things he he took a bunch of cases and copied them from NICAP files so um he wrote a book recently, uh, Flying Saucers from Beyond Earth, and uh, it was about his time at NICAP. Uh, and uh, we uh, we went ahead and interviewed him, and after that, we uh, uh, we copied his files. Now he, after he left NICAP, he started. Uh, uh, UFO uh, Research Network, and he had a UFO uh, uh, research newsletter that he published, and that was uh, that was a really good newsletter. Not too many people got it though, so it's uh, it was interesting to go ahead and and uh, talk to him about his time. At NICAP and after NICAP, uh, and that's what we try to do. We try to interview uh, uh, as many people from uh, historical or even uh, who are involved now. We've we've interviewed a, a few people. It's unfortunate some people have you know they're having memory problems. Uh, tried to interview uh, Dr. Rutledge, who had. Uh, what he called project identification is unfortunate though that he just he just uh um he had, he had lost most of his memory he, he, we you know we couldn't get a good interview out of him um, we interviewed Terry Clark down in uh, uh, uh Alamogordo and uh he had had a stroke, so his his memory wasn't that good either. Uh, it, was be- it was much better than Rutledge. We were able to get uh, good information out of him and and uh, uh, find out a few things that, uh, like like with almost everybody we interview, we find out things that that haven't been written about or people don't know about. Um, uh, 
like I say, Gordon Lore was he was uh, really interested in pre-1947 UFOs, it's stuff that happened before Kenneth Arnold saw his. So uh, he did a whole. You have any? Run. Yeah. Do you have any data for the future at all? I know you like to do history, but on the 29 or the year 30. 2035 or anything like that? Any data or any uh, anything about the future at all or is that totally left out of your history because it's hard to talk about the future but <laughs> yeah, well, anybody, did anybody mention it or those would be the contactees back around I guess back in who was this? Vessel Van, Van Tassel? Van Tassel? Yeah, Ventassel. Like I, I, yeah, uh, yeah. Rupel went out to see Van Tassel and some of these other guys at uh, um, Giant Rock there in California. They used to have a, a yearly get together. Yeah. Uh, um, Van Tassel and Dan Fry and a few of these other guys. I think they turned him off. To uh, to UFOs, uh, uh, he really uh, thought that they were uh, mostly uh, um, in the in the uh, nut category. And but he did go out there and talk to them, um, and he wrote a uh, an article about it. It was published by uh, Kufos in the uh, Journal for UFO Studies. Um, is found in his papers. Um, uh, Rupert's papers are really interesting because he uh, he he had a lot of notes from the time he was in charge of uh, Project Blue Book. Uh, as far as I I I, I haven't. I haven't ever seen anything that the contactees did that uh, was really interesting to me. Um, uh, mostly they seem to be uh, uh, a distraction, to put it to put it nicely. Uh, of course, George Abdamsky, before he did UFO, before he did the Sky People and everything, and uh, his, uh, what did he call them? Uh, I forget. Anyways, before he did that, he had the Royal Order of Tibet, and uh, of course, in the 30s, 20s and 30s, you couldn't... Uh, uh, Strange, re, strange religions uh, uh, were kind of frowned on, but he said, "Oh no, no, we're Christian, but we're taking the Tibetan imp, uh, spiritualism and and uh, uh, combining it with the the Christian gospel." Um, and of course, if you read the the writings of the Royal Order of Tibet, it's got the same sayings that uh, the space people come out with after Abdamsky uh, uh, meets the 
the uh, tall Venusians and everything, and the uh, um, unbelievable, beautiful women from Venus, and the uh, athletic guys, <clears throat> and uh, uh, Ortho comes out with the with the same things that the uh, Royal Order of Tibet is in the books of the Royal Order of Tibet. So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I guess uh, uh, they were in contact with Abdamski before he uh, he he actually met them and uh, uh, gave him this knowledge in the twenties uh, and thirties. Um, is uh, and of course uh, after after he started with the uh, space people, he uh, he didn't mention the royal order of Tibet or anything. People found out about it by doing a little re- uh, newspaper research. He said we were going to have temples um, with high walls and uh, women dressed in. Uh, purple robes, and we're going to have uh, um, trumpets to announce uh, uh, our our services and things. And of course, that's all pie in the sky because that never happened. He never had enough money to do that. He did have a number of followers, and and they followed him out to. Uh, Mount Palomar, they were uh, at the uh, uh, foot of the mountain where the uh, Palomar Observatory was. And so he tried to style himself as the uh, Professor of Damsky. Of course, he'd never, I don't think he had more than a, than a uh, um, grade school education. But he uh, he called himself professor, and his followers uh, uh, referred to him like that. Um, uh, his uh, his whole uh, his whole thing was that uh, the uh, space people were trying to warn him of uh, uh, the the problems with the. Uh, the atomic bomb, and of course, that's a lot. That's what a lot of the contactees did in the fifties. Um, they were supposed to be warning us about the uh, problems with the atomic bombs. Uh, now they're wor- worried about uh, um, environmental disasters. Uh, and like I said, uh, Abdamski. Uh, um, well, he had uh, he had a couple of people that claimed that they also met Ortho or met the the same space yeah. people that he did, and for a while he battled them off, and then he finally uh, he finally gave in and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, you met uh, you met the Ortho and the, the uh, space people also." Um, <laughs> uh, all I can say is rather a, a strange thing, but he was able to uh, uh, obtain an international following, uh, and people paid to for so he could have a round the world tour. Uh, 
kind of amazing. Um, uh, my friend Harold Fulton uh, in New Zealand uh, told us about one of his uh, his uh, speeches down there, and he was uh, uh, there were people there that were shouting that he was a, a fraud and a hoax, but there were other people there that thought he was uh, he was great. He was the Messiah. So uh, uh, Fulton said he was able to quiet the crowd down and get them to listen to him. Um, and he had what he, uh, you know, he had a, uh, like I said, a, a sort of a peace manifesto that he uh, he had from the, uh, supposedly from the saucer people. And they were kind of interested in that. So he did have he, he planted little seeds all over the world, you know, Australia, uh, New Zealand, France, England. I don't. Yeah, Germany too. All over the world, he had he had little. Uh, he called it the Get Acquainted program. Um, so he was he was one of the famous ones. Uh, uh, Dan Fry, he actually had worked in uh, at White Sands, I believe, um, and so he had uh, he had his own contact with uh, people. Uh, he was very popular in Japan. Uh, and Van Tassel, he was building some kind of a. machine that was supposed to uh, uh, capture uh, some form of energy that would cause people to be able to live for a long time and he, he poured a lot of money into that he got some he got some actual a lot of support and th- that thing is uh it it it's uh the uh the The building that housed the machine is very strange looking and it's out there in the desert still, but there's of course there's no machinery in it, but the building is still there. You can go out and see it. It's uh is built to last forever and uh it pretty much has. Um, and like I said, uh I think we did try to like I said, we talked to we tried to talk to Manger. We tried to talk to uh, to one of uh, Abdansky's followers, and they 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 didn't want to talk to us. So that's about <clears throat> all we've done with the contactees. Uh, uh, Tom, before he met me, he had talked to. Uh, uh, I think a couple of them, and he'd also talked to, uh, he, he did some uh, work for uh, for Dr. Greer. Um, so, uh, but he said, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to talk about what he did for Greer. He said that's in the past. Um, and so, uh, that is a, uh, as far as these guys that have some kind of contact with uh, 
with the space people is about uh, that's that's about my extent of uh, of uh, working with them. Uh, um, I didn't really work too much with uh, uh, abductees. Uh, I had one guy that was a Hispanic fellow, and he uh, <clears throat> he was the most interesting guy as far as I I knew. Uh, uh, I mean the the hills were interesting and uh, Bluff Ledge, which Walter Webb he investigated both cases. Uh, he invested, and Bluff Ledge was to me very uh, very interesting. But I didn't get involved in in them. But I did get involved with this uh, Hispanic guy. I used to well, try. We're gonna to... have to. So it's yeah, about you... sixty seconds. Okay, so. Um, most of these people, I, uh, as far as abductees, I sent them on to uh, Richard Hall because he was he was doing things with them. Okay. So well, let's yeah. write down there because the names are important, and we'll get we'll just start there next week with Richard Hall and people you sent to him, and what all uh, we're supposed to be doing. So thank you, Jan, and I've got your file. I'll, right here, it'll be on TGMRC2 Radio, and it's posting all over, so I'll send you a copy. Uh, okay. Do you see it on Facebook? Yes. I'll put it on Facebook and LinkedIn, too. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, let's do it again next week. We're getting somewhere, and right. some days are better than others, but we're, we're just got to keep pushing forward. So I thank you for all your time thus far, and I guess I will uh, – Talk to you next week, then, okay? Okay. You have a good week. Right. Okay, thank you, everybody. We will return, hopefully, with more energy than today, boy. Whew. Long 2019. All right, thank you, everybody. We'll be-